back. It is a Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian with you for the next hour or so. Coming up on this episode of the podcast, uh, Cassie Campbell Pascal is going to drop by. We're going to talk uh, uh, Calgary Flames as Nazem Kadri signs and uh, certainly some, some big news out of Calgary as the Flames are back to being Stanley Cup contenders, I think. Uh, Max and Corey are going to drop by with a full recap. Corey Promen, Max Bolton, that is, of, a, of the World Junior Hockey Championship this weekend. So we're going to uh, give a significant portion of our uh, show over to them uh, today. So I'll tell you what, Haley, we got a lot to get to. But now this is this is an audio podcast here. So our, our, our listeners can't see this. But you're coming to us from your brand new apartment in uh, downtown Toronto. And before we started this podcast, you told us that you actually had to write a cover letter to secure this particular place. And I'm fascinated by that. I've never heard of somebody getting into a bidding war. Like I've heard of bidding wars for apartments and rental properties. I get that. But it did it come down to a cover letter that you wrote? Is that how you swayed them? I think so. Because I didn't, I don't think I offered the most money. Um, I don't know. Have you ever tried to rent an apartment in downtown Toronto in 2022? It's, uh, it's not great. <laughs> it's not. Not so what, like, what, like, what do you, what do you put in your cover letter that swayed them? Like, if you didn't offer the most money, like, what did you write in there that said, you know, I am the right tenant? Uh, How'd you sway them? Yeah, I mean, I feel like landlords want to know that you're clean and quiet and you're living in the area, not because it's like this is the most beautiful place. I'm gonna host the best parties. All my friends are gonna want to come hang here. It's like. I'm a young professional. I work a lot. I'm quiet. I'm very clean. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Did you mention that you kick ice cubes under the fridge? Because I feel like <laughs> if I was a landlord, I wouldn't want to know that the tenant that's running my place is kicking ice cubes under my fridge. You know what? I actually time. said diligent picker up of ice cubes. Yeah. That specifically uh, phrased that way. Great English. Uh, yeah. I feel like, wow, she's very smart. Yeah, me, me writer. <laughs> me, I'm a writer. Yeah. I, I write and I pick up ice cubes. I would never kick an ice cube. Never. On these hardwood. I'm just kidding. I, I yeah. would. I don't. See, the, <laughs> the difference. But is your kitchen hardwood too? Yeah. Your kitchen's hardwood or is it linoleum? What's linoleum, Ian? I don't know. <laughs> What's linoleum? I don't. That's how I'm I, not I, a. I, love it. I don't do hardware stuff. Oh, neither do I. I actually sounded like I actually God, sounded Ian. like I was handy. Jesus, yeah, I don't know. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. The difference with this one is um, what leads to the ice on the floor is the ice maker. There's no ice maker here. It's ice cube trays. So I have not dropped oh. any ice cubes yet. You know, when you like crack it open, like they're not popping oh. on the floor. You just. You gotta get a good, it's a good wrist workout when you have to snap yeah. the ice cube tray. Yeah. Anyways. So now you're, <laughs> you're, I think this is the first show we've done together since you announced your new role with the athletic. Mm-hmm. Right? And I feel like I'd like to just give you an opportunity here because the reason why you're doing this show from Toronto, we are going to talk about the team that you used to cover, the Calgary Flames. Uh, they're going to take up a significant portion of the show when we bring Cassie on here. But like, you got a brand new role. Like, this is really exciting for you to kind of dive headfirst into um, a new position with the Athletic. And so I, I just want to give you an opportunity to kind of explain to our listeners what you're going to be doing here. Yeah, I mean, and I'm still covering the Flames right now, and I'm going to be doing that until 
we have announced who's going to be taking over on that beat. So I'm still around. We had a, a flame story up on the site where I kind of went through and gave the, the team the report card on all of the kind of transitional transformative moves they've made this off season. And again, we'll talk about some of those, but yeah, in terms of this new role, it's really exciting. Um, I've been at this company, you know, I, I think this new role, it's a, it's a national position with a focus on women's hockey, but then also the ability to stay in the NHL group and write NHL stories, whether it's doing something with you on the Ottawa Senators or doing something um, with, you know, on the flames or doing something in a different market, um, doing something on the Leafs, whatever, it gives me the ability to really um, start digging into um, more stuff, more teams. Um, but it also really gives me the flexibility and the space to do lots of women's hockey stuff, um, which is, you know, a really great commitment from the company to say, like, we're going to free you up that, you know, if something happens with the PWHPA or, the international game, you don't have a beat that you have to, to be on today. You don't have to go to a morning skate. You don't have to go to practice. You can go and, and focus on that women's hockey stuff, which is which is really great. Well, listen, that's going to be the perfect segue, actually, for us <laughs> to bring in uh, our, our guest here on the Athletic Hockey Show. Cassie Campbell-Pascal is joining us, uh, and from my city, actually, if I'm not mistaken, right? Cassie, you're here in Ottawa right now, right? I am. I'm trying to find a good spot that's kind of quiet. Uh, so I hope this is good. Um, yeah, I'm actually at the Tennessee Women's Open and I'm um, playing in the Pro-Am today. I'm not going to lie, I'm sweating buckets. It's hot here in Ottawa, as you may, may or may not know. I don't know if you've left your yeah. house today, but it's, it's a hot one here. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, amazing. It is sticky. Have you played yet, Cass, or are you still just... Uh, we're just about to play um, at, at noon, which is mm. uh, it's uh, about an hour away. Okay. Are you the yeah. celebrity? <laughs> I'm, I'm the celebrity pro-am person who's actually going to be playing with an LPGA member and some other people. And <laughs> but, like, it's embarrassing. I just came off the tee, like the practice range. And, you know, I just hit a few and I got off quickly because these women are just fantastic at golf. And it, I think I'm pretty good as an amateur, but it's just a whole other level watching them hit the ball. So I left the uh, practice range pretty quickly. <laughs> Didn't want to waste any good ones. It's where yeah. the um where I found that I was humbled, and I never played in a pro am, but I I actually covered a CP Women's Open. I was like, I'm pretty good at golf. My dad has pro card. My dad taught me. I've got a good swing. Watching Brooke Henderson just work on her chips and like yeah. her short game, I was like, oh my god. I mean, obviously, yeah, and- I'm I'm not as good as Brooke Henderson. She's pro, but I was watching just like how consistently perfect. Her chip shots and everything she can hit with like a wedge. I was like, yeah, yeah, I could yeah. never. <laughs> and they're flexible. Like, <laughs> I, I recently did a, a clinic with Michelle Wee, and she goes, you know, for a hockey player, you actually have a pretty good backswing. She goes, most hockey players stop like halfway through their backswing and then power through. So I, I felt good that Michelle Wee told me that, but basically she was nice and saying, you know, like most hockey players, you're not very flexible. So. <laughs> It's just the full swing, just the power. Just It's been pretty incredible just to be out here so far. Yeah, and I, I know, if I'm not mistaken now, is it tomorrow? You're part of a pretty cool event, uh, like a women's leadership event, right, here in Ottawa tomorrow? Yeah, uh, it's there's. I'm going to be a part of a panel tomorrow. Arlene Dickinson's going to be here speaking. Uh, Steph Labbe from this women's soccer team, the goalie, obviously. Um, yeah, so she's part of the panel with me, and 
And yeah, it's just a fun women's leadership initiative and just fun to be asked and be part of it. And I kind of shut myself down this summer, which was really nice and, and needed. So this is just my second event all summer. And, uh, but both of them were golf related. So I, I, I feel like it was, you know, meant to be this summer for sure. So Haley and I were just, we, we just kind of started to, to tee this up a little bit that, uh, boy, the Calgary Flames have had quite the, uh, the off season. I think six weeks ago we thought, uh oh, the Flames are in trouble. This is all going to fall apart with, you know, Goudreau's gone and it looks like Kachuk has one foot out the door and he's got to, all of a sudden, boy, Brad Living has really salvaged the summer here. And I'm just curious to, to get your big picture takeaway of what, what happened in, in, in Calgary this summer. Well, Ian, I live it, right? My husband yeah. takes it home. So I, I know <laughs> all the behind the scenes stuff, which obviously, you know, I have to be careful how much I say, but I, I think, you know, at first I can tell you the organization was just, you know, disappointed about not being able to sign Johnny Goudreau. Um, but then you got to move on. Like you can't just sit and, and, and wallow in what has happened. You, you've got to continue to push forward and to make your team better. And I think what, um, what Brad Living was able to do, you know, pulling off the whole Matthew Chuck thing and then signing Huberdo and, uh, you know, it was just incredible. And then to use that same pick really to, to flip Sean Monaghan and, and clear some cap space for Kadri. I mean, that deal in itself was just really remarkable for what it was able to rebound the organization. But I can tell you internally, you know, obviously there was disappointment and frustration about not being able to sign Johnny Goudreau, but then you got to flip the switch and move forward and, as an organization, you face adversity and, and that's when you really tell a lot about yourself is what you do when you're facing adversity. And you guys know that. And, um, but what he's been able to do in his staff, it's, they've had a, a really good summer and turned it around. And, you know, it's easy for me to say, and of course, you know, people say I'm biased, but I, I think personally, they're a better team. I think they're ready for, you know, they're a little bit bigger, a little bit meaner. I think their defense, you look at four deep, like Oliver Shillington, who had a career year last year has really now been pushed down to five, six, potentially seventh role. And, he, you know, he was outstanding last year. So, you know, I think they're the deepest they've ever been on defense. And and I still think they're not done. You know, I think trying to tweak something here and maybe add a, another, you know, scoring person up front or a winger, some depth up front, I think is something that they, they're definitely trying to do. I think this was something that that we put in the story when the Nazem Kadri signing first came out. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things when, when you saw this was, like, they're finally, and I don't want to say finally in the sense that they've never had, you know, good center depth because Michael Backlund is a very good center. But now you can go Lindholm, Kadri, Backlund, one, two, three up the middle. It, is that the kind of center depth where you have, you know, obviously Lindholm's a Selkie finalist. You've got a really good 1B kind of 2C and then a really good defensively gifted center in Backlund. Is that kind of a center depth that can really rival? anybody in the West except Edmonton because they've got McDavid and, and Dreisaitl one too. But, you, you know, that's why you have to have that depth. You know, you look at the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl factor, you have to have two pairings on the back end that can shut down, be shut down pairings to have that capability. And, I, you know, I really think, and I've said this for a long time, that Michael Backlund is a perfect third line center. You know, he's never really had the offensive numbers um, and, and part of it is, is the role he's been given, but, you know, he's never had those, you know, Lindholm type numbers and, but he, he can play and, and skate with Connor McDavid in the sense of he knows his role against him and it's, you're never going to mm -hmm. shut down a guy like that, but he knows his role against him. And I think he's pegged to be a perfect third line center. And, and I've always said that. And 
But that's the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisettle factor. You have now three potential centermen that you can play, you know, especially when you're in Edmonton and you don't get the last change that you can put out there. You don't have to worry so much if you're Daryl Sutter about, you know, your matchups and your lineups. And, you know, you have that depth at center now. And then you add Uyghur to that, you know, probably going to play beside Tanev on that second pairing, if you want to call it, or first pairing. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of depth you need at those positions to be able to have an opportunity to to win against the Edmonton Oilers, knowing just how powerful and, and how great those two players are up there. Well, I think even no, just I'm- to, sorry, Ian, just to follow up, and it's really just a comment, not even a question for you, Cassie. I just, I agree with, with what you said about Backlund. I mean, he was arguably the Flames' best player in the second round against Edmonton. And I think if that guy who showed he could match up really well against McDavid is your quote-unquote third-line center, I think you're in a really good spot heading into the season, at least on paper. Yeah, no, for sure. And you guys know everything's fun right now. Everyone thinks they can win right now. Mm-hmm. And knock on wood, you know, you got to play and you got to go through the season. There's probably going to be some adversity. and um, But they've set themselves up to be successful and, and they've given themselves the best-case scenario after what they went through there for two weeks. So, um, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun, and you know, to be in Calgary and to watch it and, uh, I know when I do my job, I'm very professional, but you know, it's nice to also live in the city and, and just see how excited the fans are. You know, I'm curious to ask both of you this question because, um, I think there's a lot of Habs fans curious about what they should expect out of Sean Monaghan. And both of you have watched Sean Monaghan over the last few years. You know, Cassie, I'll start with you on this. Like, like what are, what's a realistic expectation for Sean Monaghan this season? You know, from my understanding, he's the healthiest he's ever been in a long time. Uh, you know, Sean Monaghan's never going to be quick. That's just not in his DNA, but he can score. And so given the opportunity, which I think he'll get in Montreal to be back on the power play, which, you know, we, he saw less time on the power play, you know, this will pass season. And obviously injuries had something to do with it and, and some depth as well up front that Calgary had. And But I, I got to tell you, he's a good person. He's a, a team-orientated, team-first person. Um, he, he wants to win and, you know, he can still score and put given the right opportunity, I think in Montreal, uh, you know, get giving some power play time, you know, getting back that role that he once had as a Calgary flame. I, I I put 20 goals, you know, easily for Sean Monaghan. And again, it's health related and he has to stay healthy, but this guy's a shooter. He can finish. Um, he's not overly fast, but he gets himself into good positions to get open um, and, you know, I just think this is someone that is finally healthy for the first time in the last, you know, three, four, even five years. And uh, so who, let's just hope that he can get his game back. And, you know, he's a Brampton boy, which is where I'm from, and I've known him for a long time. And he's just a real good teammate. And I, I think that's what Montreal should be excited about. Yeah, I, I think the Canadians are getting like a really intriguing version of Sean Monaghan, not to like dehumanize him and call him, you know, that kind of. Thing, but I, I think I'm really curious to see um, what happens with Monaghan in Montreal because, because like Cassie said, you know, it sounds like he is, you know, actually healthy this time around. Um, it was it was my understanding of what happened with Monaghan was he had the first hip surgery, um, came back rehab from that, and once he came back from that, was like, oh, that's what a hip's supposed to feel like. Oh no, like the other one is is not good. Um, so he never really came back at full health. He came back with one surgically repaired hip. Um, so then he went back and had the other surgery, and now both are in, in, in a good spot. And he's in a good space. So I think, um, like Cassie said, you know, he was 
he was on the fourth line last year, again, because of injuries and, and whatnot, but also he wasn't, you know, at the level that maybe Daryl needed him to be, to be in a top six position or be in a middle six position. So he took that fourth line role. He didn't have the power play time. I don't think the Canadians are going to be in that kind of spot. So you're going to have a healthy Sean Monahan playing higher up the lineup. And I think he's going to, you know, obviously he's going to be motivated. This is a player who's me playing for, for a contract next season. He's this is the last year of that deal that he signed. What was it? Six, five, six years ago. So, um, I'm going to be really curious to watch what happens with Monaghan. And, and I think, you know, as, as a human, like you're just kind of rooting for him to, to kind of bounce back and, and get his game back because you, you don't hear anything but good things about the kind of person that he is. So you're always rooting for people like that to, to get their footing back in the league for sure. And you think about it, Ian, you know, you, you look at when Brad Trilliving first started and his group first started, it's really Michael Backlund is the only core player left from when they started. And, you know, they gave that group a, an opportunity, a huge opportunity to become the core in Calgary. And for a variety of reasons, and, and not to point fingers at any of them, it just didn't work out in the playoffs. They couldn't find that playoff success. So this has been a real true rebuild over Brad Living's tenure, in particular in the last year and a half. And, you know, you're starting to see his footprint really being put on this organization. And it it's taken some time. Uh, you know, he really believed in this core. And I think a lot of people did. And, and just for whatever reason, they just couldn't you know, get that playoff success. And so you wish all of them the best. You know, Johnny Gaudreau had the right to do exactly what he did. He earned that right. Uh, he, he earned that right to choose where he and his family wanted to go. And, you know, it was unfortunate for the city and for the for the uh, Flames. But, you know, here they go and, and just try to, he's put his stamp on it and a, a huge stamp this summer. And we'll see where this core can take them. I do find, um, you know, bouncing on that too, Cassie, is this was kind of the year where, the most natural thing was like, let's run it back. Look at the improvements we made. Um, you know, this is the year where people weren't saying like, blow it up, change the core, change the core. But this was also the year where the flames didn't have as much control over that situation. It was Johnny and Matthew and the players had had more control, but you know, they obviously the, they kind of rebounded and had this, all these great other moves. I guess the other question I had for you though, Cassie is you're, you're talking about, maybe trying to upgrade on some wings and and obviously not asking you to do any trade secrets here, but I've been banging the Evan Rodriguez or Sonny Milano, Zach Aston Reese kind of train. Do you see players like that, like those kind of middle six versatile kind of guys as natural fits for the flames? Or is there maybe something different that would, that would be a fit on the, on the wings? Well, I, I think as an organization, you're always looking for versatility, you know, knowing that anything can happen within the course of an 82 game season. And, but you're also looking for some scoring. You know, I, I think as an organization, that's something that they can still build on. It'll allow them to maybe keep Pelche in the AHL and allow him to develop a little bit more. And, um, you know, so I, I think you're always just looking for the, the best option. A winger to me is ideal. Uh, just knowing their center depth, but at the same time, you always want to have depth in that position as well. So I can tell you from personal experience and family experience, this summer is the busiest time for these general managers and, and their staff. It, it's never ending. There isn't time off in the summer like people think, and they're all golfing. You know, you know, they're in the office. They're, you know, maybe at their cottage or whatever, but the phones are constant and they're constantly planning, constantly tweaking things, thinking of different scenarios of how to make their team better. So um, you know, I, I feel comfortable saying that I don't, I think they're, they're still looking for something and to add some scoring up front in particular, a winger, if they can, 
add some versatility up front as well. And, um, but again, I think they're pretty happy with what they've been able to do so far and, and probably be happy to start the season as is. Uh, a final question for you before we let you go. We don't want to be blamed for you having a, a poor start to your golf uh, match here at, at 12 o'clock. Okay, and this is going to be completely, it's going to seem like it's a completely out of left field question, but I've always wanted to ask you this because I believe many years ago, you had a chance to sit at an NHL game with the Queen. Am I right on that? Yeah. What? I did. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, I actually have I, the entire picture signed in my house. Okay. Yeah, I, we just cool. need the backstory of like, 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 what did she eat during the game? Because I yeah. want to know that she ate nachos or like, can you just tell us what it was like Helmet to sit nachos? and watch, w- watch an well, NHL game with the queen? That, yeah, there was a ton of protocol, you know, like a ton of protocol. And, and basically there, there was a few of us that dropped the puck uh, alongside her. She actually dropped the puck. Wayne Gretzky was there. Howie Meeker was there. Ed Jovanovsky played for the Canucks, actually was part of the red carpet ceremony and then l- left to get changed and actually play the game um but it it was a really really cool experience and I actually got to sit with her late husband we sat side by side and he um he was basically like why is the goalie catching the puck like that and what is the whistle blowing for what tell me what is going on here and he's got his little accent and and he really just wanted to know about the hockey and she was lovely and ironically she was 77 years old at the time when I met her which is the number I, I wore in hockey and she, one of the things that stood out to me, you guys, was she looked like she was 47. I mean, she had the gray hair and everything, but her face and her skin was just like, I'm like, I need to find the skin cream that this woman uses. But <laughs> what are you it wearing? Was, it, was really it was really neat just the way the protocol was. You had to do a criminal check ahead of time. You don't shake, you don't reach to shake her hand unless she reaches to shake yours. And you were sort of nervous going into it. And then she just seemed so relaxed, right? And it wasn't as big of a deal. And but I remember her looking at me standing there in my jersey with my gold medal on. It's like, is she Ed Jovanovsky's wife or does she actually play hockey? Like you could see this confused mm-hmm. look on her face as if she wasn't sure that women played hockey at the time. And But it was a really cool experience. And I actually have the picture signed by everyone who was part of the, the face-off with the exception of the queen. So I have it up in my home office and it was a pretty big deal in my family, especially for my grandmother. She was pretty pumped that I got to meet the queen. That is wild. I've done some crazy things. I got to tell you, before the life of social media, I'm pretty fortunate. And uh, and it's been a blast to be a female hockey player in this country and, and to watch the game be where it once was to where it is today and uh, just to have been a, a really small part of it. So uh, it's fun to watch it grow. But good question, Ian. That was good. I, I haven't been asked about the queen in a while. So that yeah. was good. Yeah, I've always <laughs> been meaning to ask you that because I remember, I remember seeing an anecdote about that years ago. So I thought... Uh, I thought uh, I'd ask you. So we we really appreciate you dropping by. I know you're really busy. You got to get back to the course, but uh, but thanks for dropping by the Athletic Hockey Show. Yeah, well, you two are two of my favorite people, and also your producer Jeff Demet is one of my favorite of all time. So all <laughs> the best to you guys, and thanks for having me. Thanks, all right. Cass. All right, terrific conversation with uh, with Cassie there. I, I tell you, Haley, do you know she dodged the question about whether or not the Queen ate nachos at that game? Like, oh, I know. I, I loved her British accent too. Like that. Yeah, that was pretty good. Came out pretty. I, I think like, I think maybe she had this, she talked about protocol. I think she had to sign like a waiver or release saying, I will not discuss what the queen ate. It's like chicken fingers yeah. and nachos and like maybe, right? Like an ice yeah. cream sundae out of a helmet, a poutine. Like <laughs> she couldn't, she's not allowed to discuss it. Something happened there. I, I, I would love to know what the queen ate. 
So I have a very important question. Um, yes. So, you know, when you go to a baseball game and you can get nachos in like the helmet. Or like a soft serve have... ice cream, right? In right, a helmet? but I don't yeah. care about, I don't care about helmet ice cream because it's too small. <laughs> Why don't we have hockey helmet nachos, right? Exactly. Yes. Why don't yes. we have that? I, I would pay the extra more. $20 for that shit. But do they have them at NFL? I don't. I've been a bunch of NFL games. I've never seen, and like uh, like a food item served in a little novelty NFL helmet. Why? But you're Why? right. Why the the Major League Baseball helmets? It's like a thing. The little okay. hard shell. Yeah, and so I was in Cincinnati at one point this summer. I went to a Reds game. They're playing the Braves, um, and I. <laughs> Spend so much money on these helmet, helmet nachos. Um, like the regular nachos were like eight dollars, which is really fair for ballpark nachos. I got the like eighteen dollar helmet nachos, and I didn't even take the helmet home, which is like the whole point. I just was like, "This is covered in cheese. I don't want it." Yeah, <laughs> I threw it that's, out. That's but wait, always, yeah, no. I, this is my question. What is your nacho etiquette? Because there was this, I'm going to, he's going to remain nameless because I'm still pissed about this. So you get your nachos and you've got the salsa in the corner. You've got the little pickled jalapenos. You've got the cheese. And then there's the, you know, piece of the helmet that's just nacho. And you dip everything in it and then you get to the bottom and it's whatever. This person mixed up the nachos. He like took a little thing and mix them up so all the cheese and everything got mixed instead in the whole thing them. instead of dipping and he ruined my helmet nachos because you they all got that. soggy and I was like this is such a helmet nacho foul and there was cheese everywhere they were all soggy and I was really upset because they were pretty good like that is not who does that who mixes you nachos you got a dip exactly He's like, but the, there was everything was underneath. I'm like, but you get to that after you eat the other piece of the nachos. And he also rendered your helmet like kind of like too uh, cheesy, too cheesy to take home. Like yeah. if you were just dipping, then yeah. the helmet is clean. It's a quick rinse. You eat all the cheese yeah. <laughs> out of the helmet. So I'm still clearly upset about it. Okay, but you Let's know what? I on. love your idea. We're gonna pitch this any <laughs> NHL. Uh, uh, front office marketing people who are listening to this, be the first team to offer mini helmet and you can go nachos, you can do uh, uh, fries, you could do soft serve ice cream, right? Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. Why isn't this a thing? I don't get it because I 100%. would absolutely, I would leave the press box. <laughs> to get helmet nachos. <laughs> Come back Does up it to cut the your credibility though? Like, do you no, ever feel like you're no, hungry. No, no. But do you ever feel like it cuts your credibility when you leave the press box and come back with like a novelty item from the concession stand or you're like, yeah, come back I guess with if like it's a pogo. Like, yeah, I guess if you're coming back with like <laughs> a corn dog. Well, like, like if it's just food, it's fine. But if you're coming back with like an Ottawa Senators logo, like slice of pizza or whatever, it's like in. <laughs> yeah. You can't cheer on the press box. Exactly. This is my favorite place to go. And this is like a tip for anyone listening. If you ever go to a game in Anaheim, there are food trucks outside of the building. And they are cheap and they are delicious and you have in and out privileges. And so the three times, two times I've been to a game in Anaheim, 
I have left the press box <laughs> and gone down to this one food truck. They Are we have, talking tacos? They so I got like a kind of like a burrito bowl. Yeah. Yeah. The one time, and then I got um, fries the other time. So good. It's just the one problem is, like, I sit on the away side, so the players are sitting behind me, and you're kind of like, <laughs> you're, like, awkwardly walking in with, <laughs> like, a giant plate of fries or whatever in front of, like, Michael Stone. It's like, do you want some? I didn't offer many French fries, but they're, like... <laughs> I don't know. There's always just something weird about eating like a vat of French fries in front of professional, professional athletes. athletes. Like, don't look at me. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. I don't have to play tomorrow. I just got to oh. sit here and talk about it. Boy. Anyways, this has been uh, Haley's Food Corner. I like it. It should be a regular segment, Haley's Food Corner. I get really passionate. You can tell yeah. the energy's up. <laughs> I'm like talking it. about French fries. I like, but I'm with um, you on this helmet thing. I feel like I had another food-related item I wanted to discuss about a press box, but now I don't remember. Well, there's certain press boxes in the league that they'll stock candy in oh. the press box, like high. Like Phil- Philadelphia and Boston are the two that I think of Boston's that have. The best. Yeah, like Skittles and yeah. M and M's and Twizzlers and yeah. Mm-hmm. Edmonton used to have really good snacks. Uh, you know they still kind of do. Toronto was good for the ice cream bars. They would have yeah, they still have uh, those. Like and uh, like Hagen Dazs too, I think. Yeah. Right, like it was a pretty, yeah. pretty high and end, and and pizza. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There you go. Everything That's that I end. can't eat because I'm gluten intolerant. Ottawa has to be near the bottom of the list. Um, they've it's just moved- those hot dogs. No, they, they've stopped the hot Well, it, probably in the COVID era, they stopped the hot dogs. And even that. they stopped the popcorn. There was nothing. Oh, man. That was the worst for me. I would go. <laughs> I would go to games, Ian, and not be thinking about, like, what's going to happen in the second period. It'd be like, I am not going to the popcorn until intermission. I am not getting popcorn until the anthem's done. It was just like. Don't do it the second you sit down. You need to wait. Like that oh, was I what I went to the rink being like, don't go to the popcorn bar yet. It Salty is as popcorn. too early. Yeah. 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 Uh, hey, Anyways. listen. Um, <laughs> again, that, that's Haley's, uh, Haley's food rant. Hey, let, let's just uh, put a bow on the Nazem Kadri thing because I think that's a, a huge story. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and, and you wrote about this, like, you know, a few years ago, Nazem Kadri kind of turned down a deal to, to Calgary um, when the Leafs would have traded him there and they ended up moving him to to Colorado. Uh, like, what do you think, what do you think changed Nazem Kadri's mind? Like, wh- why was he open to Calgary this time around versus in the past, he seemed a little bit reluctant to, to join the Flames? Yeah, well, I think um, the important thing, and in, in, uh, people can choose whether they believe this or not. Um, but Nazem Kadri kind of said, like, I want to make this very clear. Like, it wasn't anything about Calgary. It was, you know, I did not want to waive my, you know, trade protection because I thought it was going to give me the best chance to stay in Toronto. Ultimately, so he turns that, you know, trade down. He says, nope, I'm not gonna, nope, not gonna do it. Um, and then the Leafs come back and, and they've got the trade with Colorado and he ultimately gets traded anyways. Um, so 
for him, he was saying like, it wasn't a Calgary thing. It was just, I thought if I shot it down, I would, I would be able to stay. Um, not really kind of expecting the Leafs to have another trade uh, in the hopper or kind of in the, in the drawer. Um, obviously you can kind of debate like, well, was Calgary on your no trade list, but Colorado wasn't. Um, but look at that was three years ago. He's in a different place in his life now. Obviously he knows that there's other places, um, outside of Toronto. That's, you know, the hometown team. He's, he's been gone from there for a while. He's an unrestricted free agent. They're offering him a lot of money. Um, things change. Um, you know, his, where he wanted to be changed. He's, he's older now. He's played outside of Toronto. And again, I think, you know, the Flames obviously offered him um, more term um, that, uh, you know, I don't know what offers were out there for Nazem Kadri, but, you know, you can kind of expect that the Flames were offering to give him a little bit more than other teams were. You know, this it comes down to where you want to be, but it also comes down to the, to the dollars and, and the term. And, and he got seven times seven. <laughs> like, you know, and Calgary's a great city, honestly, I think. You know, Kadri's been around the league long enough to have been in Calgary on road trips and see it. Um, it's a great place, I think. Um, I don't know. I think the city sometimes gets a bad rep. I even, before I moved, to, before I went to Calgary for the first time, because I think it got, I don't know, I remember saying I was going on the West Coast trip and it was like Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, and people were like, oh, have fun in Alberta. And I remember saying something on Twitter like, Calgary is way better than I thought it was going to be. Like it is not as like boring and cold and people were so mad at me. I'm like, I don't know. I'm from Ontario. And all anyone says is like, have fun in Alberta. It's like, this place is great. Like the city is beautiful. You're so close to the mountains. So kadri has been around. He's been there enough times. I, you know, even for me, it took one walk around to be like, this is great. Like I really like it here. And then obviously I moved there two years later. Um, so, you know, Kadri said that it was just a wanting to stay in Toronto thing. And, and he talked about, you know, being a Canadian guy, being back playing in a Canadian market. He really likes the city. He likes where the team's going. So I think it's just, you know, a lot has changed in the last couple of years for Kadri. But again, I think the undercurrent we've got to understand is the Flames offered him $7 million for the next seven years. Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great deal for him to, uh, to get that type of uh, security and, and term and dollar. Yeah. And I'll say too, Ian, like, and you can talk about this as well. Like, there's just been so much about, you know, oh, that's not going to age well with Kadri and, and Huberto. It's like, oh, those deals aren't going to age well. It's like, well, if you look at it, and this is something I've written about in the last couple of days, and even with the Huberto stuff, is if you look at who the Flames have under contract right now, and you look at the state of the team, they are older, which is a problem for sure. Um, and, but they have a very clearly defined window. Um, yes, their window of contention is smaller now than it would have been if Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk stayed, but they didn't, and they did not want to. And the flames could have either been a complete non-factor basement, basement, like, you know, they were always going to be okay because of Jacob Markstrom, but they were not going to be good if they just stood pat and said, well, let's just try to bring Manjipani and Shillington back and, and dip our toe here and there. They're going to be a non-factor. And now they're older, yes, but they have a window of contention for the next three, four years, three years, I would say. 
that is not something I thought we would say once we saw Johnny leave and once we heard that Matthew wanted out before we knew what the return for Matthew Kachuk was going to be, right? So I think you look at it as, yeah, Nazem Kadri is going to be 37 and Jonathan Huberto is going to be 36. I mean, Jacob Markstrom is going to be like 36 years old in the next five years or whatever. Um, you revisit it then. That is a problem for four or five years down the road. Um because you look at the contracts and you can clearly see the window where the Flames need to do something. Tyler Toffoli and Elias Lindholm, um, you know, they're unrestricted free agents in two years. They've got two more seasons left. Andrew Mangiapane has three more seasons left. Noah Hanfin has two more years left. The only players signed through, you know, on opening night in 2026, the only players signed through to that period is Blake Coleman, Jacob Markstrom. Jonathan Huberto and Nazem Kadri. You know, everyone else is gone or on new contracts and older. So it's like you can see where the flames are like, we're going to have yeah. to revisit here. But for now, they have a, like Cassie said, and in my opinion, a more balanced team. Like the flames had the best line in hockey last year, in my opinion. They were one of the most productive. They were very good at five on five. They were very good defensively because of Elias Lindholm, who is a Selkie finalist. But there was way too many nights where the Calgary Flames were a one-line hockey team. And I think part of that was because you had players like Michael Backlund in a second-line center position, and he couldn't really drive the same amount of offense as somebody like Nazem Kadri would be able to. I think adding Kadri is going to give them a second line who can score, and it's going to put Backlund in the perfect spot to be as effective in a two-way shutdown role as he can. And they've got a better blue line and you have Jacob Markstrom, who was terrible in the second round, who's going to be very motivated to not do that again. Um, So I think when you look at it, I think the Flames are surprisingly, given how badly they took it on on the teeth a month ago, are a really good spot. This is all on paper. The best laid plans can fall flat sometimes and the worst signings can end up working out. Like we know that we haven't seen them play yet. But, you know, I I just think they've kind of had this remarkable rebound and have, you know, given themselves a real shot that I don't think anybody thought they were going to have. And that's kind of the success of the offseason, right? There's some failures in there. Like I, in my grades, Ian, I, the first one is an F. It's Johnny Gaudreau leaves. I don't care that it was his choice. And I don't care that Bradtree Living did everything he could. That's a failure. Johnny Gaudreau left the organization. That's an F. And like any grade book, it should be. Um, but everything they kind of did to rebound from that has been really good. And that's kind of, I gave the Flames a B plus on the offseason. Your, your last report card as a Flames beat report, you should just torch them all. D, D, F, <laughs> see you later. I did give, I gave Ke- signing Kevin Rooney a D because I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> They signed a guy who's only, he's 29 years old. He's played 210 games in in the NHL. He's a fourth line center slash winger. And they signed him for two years, 1.3 million. It's like, why was this a day one? You just lost Johnny. Here comes Kevin Rooney. There's still depth guys out there. I was like, I don't get it. This is a D. I don't get it. But then Trevor Lewis, I'm like, C plus. I I wanted to give him an A because I like Trevor Lewis. You know what, Trevor Lewis? Absolutely. This makes a ton of sense. But Kevin Rooney, I don't understand yeah. what we're doing here. Anyways, uh, hey, listen, it's been like, it's been a wild time to cover the Calgary. Flames. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, it's been quite the summer. And look, the the Kadri signing on 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 Friday leading into the weekend was a huge story. 
but probably for a lot of hockey people, Haley, the biggest story of the of last week was the World Junior Hockey Championships. And in a moment here, we're going to toss it over to Corey Promen and Max Boltman. They are going to give our listeners a full recap of kind of storylines and uh, you know players that uh, kind of uh, stepped up and elevated during the tournament. Uh, we're going to hand it over to them for a few minutes, and we'll come back and wrap it up. But the reason why we're going to hand it over to them is, is A, they're, they're the experts on this, but B, we're going to be completely transparent with our audience here and say, look, I, I think you and I were in the same boat here. I was not engaged in the World Junior Hockey Championship this year for a couple of reasons. And I think it's a little bit of the distaste in my mouth over um, the World Junior Program, Hockey Canada, the um, allegations around pervasive sexual assault uh, with that program hasn't sat well with me. Uh, I think the fact that this tournament is in August and the timing for some of these games, like I, I was on Twitter, I was like, it's like two in the afternoon. Why is there a Team Canada game? I didn't know. I didn't. But I checked out. But I but I think we wanted to make sure that our listeners were served with, you know, proper analysis of a big tournament. So that's what we're going to hand it over to, to Corey and Max. But I think you were like me in that you didn't really engage in this year's tournament in, in the way that you probably have in the past. No, not really. Um, and again, I, I'm with you, Ian. Like, was it, I think it was a, a bunch of reasons. It was, you know, it everyone's you're on vacation it's august you know this is really the time for people like us to be like i don't want to watch a hockey game right now yeah. like i love the sport i love the game like i love watching hockey i think you have to to be able to do this job because it's a lot of hockey and i think this is kind of the space where you're like nope i'm good don't need to see that but then you have the added element of it's you know look at what's happening with hockey canada right now and, and are we really going to sit here and it, it's hard because it's like Mason, you know, you want to watch these kids do something, you know, it's their dream and, and they're winning gold. And it's, I don't know, it, it's just felt weird and gross. It's like, I don't really want to watch this right now with everything that's going on. Like, there's a really gross backdrop that this is happening in front of right now. Um, and it, you almost got, get the sense that it was like, if they win, that's the focal point on Hockey Canada now instead of like all this bad, horrible shit that's going on. And it's like, yeah, great. Like Mason McTavish, that was amazing. It was what he did was amazing. Like good for you, Mason McTavish. Like that save was incredible. I saw the highlight. Yeah. I saw Ken Johnson's winner. It's awesome. It's awesome. But like, I don't want this to be the thing that now becomes a focal point when you're talking about Hockey Canada is how great those players were for Hockey Canada. Like they're just, I'll talk about Mason McTavish as an individual and how good he was and Ken Johnson, how good he was. But there was a, I don't know. I, I just feel yeah, like, is this going to be the, yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, yeah. it's like, are we, is this going to now be the thing where, like they go back to the board and it's like, look, we won. Like you can't get rid of us. That's my fear is just like, well, they won. They're more successful. Like we know how important success is in this sport to people, especially like they care. We know that there are people who have cared more about success than people in these situations. We saw that with what happened um, with Kyle Beach. There was the focus on winning the Stanley Cup. Somebody else deal with this. I got to coach Stanley Cup. You know, that's kind of what happened there. And I guess that's the fear with 
with this is like, you know, here's the the people who are her at the top who who are involved in a really gross thing. And it's like, but look, we just won and we can do it again. Mm-mm. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, Let's not do I'm, that. I'm, I'm with you. And I, I understand people are saying, well, Mason McTavish and Kent Johnson and Ridley Gregg, they had nothing to do with it. And I right. get that. I understand that. But For sure. there are still people in power that did have something to do with it. And until those people, you know, face consequences, I don't know that I feel overly comfortable in, you know, in, you know, quote unquote, enjoying the tournament or watching the tournament. Uh, but, but I'm very mindful of the fact that I don't want to sit here and like, if, if you watched, if, if you're listening to this and you watch the world junior championship, the way that you've always watched it, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you, and you were able to enjoy it. Um, I'm curious to see when the television numbers come out, how much of a decline there is and how much, you know, usually uh, TSN trumpets the, uh, you know, record number of world junior viewers, yada, yada, yada. I didn't see anything last week talking mm-hmm. about television numbers, ratings. So that'll, that, you know, the engagement level will be very yeah. intriguing to me when it comes out. How many people I, watch that tournament? And I don't know if it's just like a my timeline thing, but I saw more people talking about like TFC game. <laughs> Like soccer, like soccer yeah. matches, yeah. Yeah, like Toronto FC um, than, than some of the World Junior Games. And again, like, you know, I I, I didn't sit down and say, like, I'm going to watch a game. And, and, you know, maybe part of that is because, you know, part of the World Juniors, it's been so ingrained, like, on Boxing Day, you're going to sit down with your family, you're going to watch the game, and it's going to be done by this date. And, like, that's part of the routine, and that's been messed up. But and it's August, so it's a little bit weird. It's just like a... I don't know, kind of a perfect storm of like, eh, I'm good. Good. Yeah. And again, like, I, you don't want to punish these, you know, players who, who no. weren't involved. And that's why I say, like, I watched what Mason McTavish did and Kent Johnson and, and, you know, all these guys. It's like, great. Congratulations. Like, you had a great showing and you're probably going to have a very good NHL career. Congratulations. I just didn't watch. Yeah, well, listen, but to that end, we do understand that there's an appetite for analysis and coverage of uh, the World Juniors. So uh, right now we're going to toss things over to uh, to Corey Promen and Max Boltman. They obviously watch the the tournament very closely. Uh, They've got a lot of analysis. So we'll be, uh, Haley and I will be back on the other side. But uh, again, we'll toss it over. Here's uh, Corey Promen and Max Boltman with a full rundown of the 2022 World Junior Hockey Championship. Thank you very much, Ian and Haley. Corey Pronman, you were at this tournament, most of it. I think you came home for the end part. Yeah, I was there for the round robin. Uh, you know, I was just at that, I was at the Hlinka Gretzky for a week. I figured two weeks was, was plenty. Um, so, yeah, I missed the middle round alive. Can you rate your regret on a scale of 1 to 10 for coming home when you realized that you missed one of the better plays I can recall in a World Junior at the end of this game in overtime? Um... A one. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would have liked to have at least a part of my summer at home. Uh, Fair. But, uh, you know, obviously, I, I would prefer to go to the medal round for the World Juniors. If I ever do, do a half and half of it, I usually do pick the medal round half. But it just so happened that it was already in Alberta. So, no no, no regrets. Although, uh, it was that, that play by McTavish was – Mason McTavish was incredible. The play Max is alluding to was – Right at during the three on three overtime between Canada and Finland in the gold medal game, Mason McTavish, uh, after turning the puck over, mind you, and a three on one leaning the other way, and and I believe it was Topin Nima Nimala almost knocking it in and, and winning it for Finland, 
Uh, McTavish knocks down a loose puck on the goal line, which the play goes back the other way and, and Canada ends up winning. Really nice play all around. I mean, I, the, the swat out of the air, I think is, is what really did it for me is, you know, the, the hand eye and the fact that the puck, it's still very easily could have ended up in the net there. It, it kind of sits on the goal line. Ken Johnson takes it down, doesn't get his first attempt, uh, at what would have been a gorgeous game winner. Um, but a, a follow and, and a game winner nonetheless. Uh, wire to wire, Canada does not lose a game in this tournament. Uh, I think fair to say it was pretty clear the whole way they, they were the, the best team at this tournament. Oh, yeah, by by considerable margin. But that gold medal game was a little bit of a scare. The shots were pretty much even. Uh, Finland outshot them considerably in the third period. You know, I, did ne- I never felt like this Canadian team was a perfect team or an unbeatable team. I just, you know, this was just the nature of this year's World Juniors where you look around the field and everyone else's rosters, like Canada's, were, were depleted in some significant manner. Uh, Finland's actually wasn't, so it wasn't really that big a surprise that that they were the gold medal opponent. They probably were the only team whose team was better uh, than the team that they brought in December among all the participants in this year's tournament. Uh, but, but I mean, the Canadian team still compared to this field was, was clearly dominant and had, there were teams that could stick with them in, in some regard. Like when you play against the Czechs, whatever, they had one deep pair or two, one or two lines that can skate with them. But there wasn't another team in, in the tournament that had the four lines and the three to D pairs that, that Canada had. To your point, it, it was impressive the way Finland kind of pushed back and because early in that game, it looked like Canada could run them. It looked like it could end up, you know, a, a four to one kind of game there with, with the pressure Canada was putting on. But Finland, I, I know you wrote this uh, in, in your observations column uh, on Sunday, their top line really, Joachim Kemmel scores, I think, the game tying goal to make it two uh, two. They did bring, like you said, a, a better team to this tournament and they're just so good in international tournament. They, they just didn't go away. No, they, they did not. And I think the performance of Yo Kim Kamel, the recent first-round pick by the Nashville Predators, was was rather notable. I mean, you know, this is a guy who at the December tournament was fine. Right? He got the couple of shots and scoring chances. He definitely wasn't a standout by, by any means. Brad Lambert, the other draft eligible there, was, yep. was clearly better than him. Uh, but and then Brad Lambert ends this tournament a healthy scratch, and Joachim Kamel ends this tournament second overall in, in tournament scoring just after being drafted. Um, you know, he wasn't on that top line uh, with Ronnie Hervonen, and, and not too much wasn't there because of uh, COVID protocols. But he starts and ends the tournament on the top line, and it's a big reason uh, why that line was so successful to go with the return of Ratu and, and the strong play of the captain, Ronnie Hervonen. Prospect wise, the big takeaway is probably, I don't know that we're going to see Mason McTavish at this tournament again, even though he is eligible again. He, he's the tournament MVP. He sure looks like an Anaheim duck to me. Oh, yeah. For, I, I would be I would be somewhat surprised if he's at this tournament next year. Never say never. He's still a 19-year-old. So, I mean, we'll see. the NHL is a hard league. We'll, we'll see what happens. But he, he seems on the fast track to being in the league next year, I imagine. I can't say Ken Johnson's a lock to make the Blue Jackets, but I've got to imagine they're going to give him a, go- a good long look uh, at their roster. Uh, the Islanders, after 
pretty much not adding anything significant this offseason. You wonder whether Atu Ratu or William Dufour get along looks at, at camp. I don't know. If, I think because both both their skating, they might want a year in the American League for both of them. Uh, but but those are guys that I could could see in the mix uh, for those clubs. And uh, and before he got injured, I thought Luke Hughes looked like looked like a guy who yeah. You know, was 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 a, was a, was a real standout. Um, I didn't listen to the standouts because ultimately he didn't play well in the middle round game, not not due to any fault of his own, because uh, he got injured. But uh, he looked like a guy who was continued to be on the fast track to be a devil uh, by the spring of two thousand and twenty three. Uh, Olin Zellweger is a guy who's not right on the fast track to being in the NHL here, but I, he does finish uh, as one of the best defensemen at this tournament. Was he on the? Did he end up making the all tournament team? Uh, he did. He was, uh, yeah, I know. he had 11 points in seven games, uh, third and ter- third and tournament scoring. Um, for me, he, he wasn't named best defenseman by the directorate. Uh, but to me, he was the best defenseman at the tournament. Uh, he just, I thought he was, he made, he wasn't obviously on, a, on that team, Canada, on the team, Canada power play where they have Kent Johnson on one flank, Logan Stankoff on the other flank, Mason McTavish at the, at the net front, and Connor Bedard in the in the bumper. It's easy to rack up points, but I thought sure. Zellweger was making a lot of plays. He always had the puck on his stick. Uh, his skating uh, stood out and allowed him to accomplish a lot of things at both ends of the ice. Uh, I thought he was good enough defensively despite his size. Uh, I thought his tournament was very impressive, and they, he showed – you know, we, we talked about, I think, in previous episodes, you know, why they didn't bring Brand Clark. Olin Zellweger is why they didn't bring Brand Clark, because this this guy is a hell of a defenseman, uh, not just a really good junior defenseman. I think he's going to be a good pro defenseman, too. On the other side of the coin, if, if Canada kind of more or less lives up to expectations, they win the gold, certainly. Uh, the United States, a team that I think we knew coming in had some questions in net. Uh, sure. They get knocked out by Czechia in the knockout round and and do not make the medal round. Uh, medal round being semifinals where you where you can actually medal. I don't know that I would say you know there's a couple goals here and there. I actually thought it was kind of the lack of offense that did in the U.S. once they got into knockout play. The lack of offense hurt them. The lack of basically depth among the, among the lines. I think their top two lines were just being rolled consistently there by the end. That third goal in the quarterfinals between the U.S. and the Czechs yes. on Caden Embarico, where it kind of tips in off his blocker, then off his thigh and, and in, you you have to wonder if if the Chicago draft pick and BU goalie, uh, Drew Camesso, was in net and not Embarico, uh, what would have happened? There's no guarantees, you know, chaotic things can happen with other goalies in net. Uh, but Drew Kamesu, who opted not to come to the tournament this season, uh, would have clearly been in goal for, for that game. And it's something that's at least in the back of my mind when, when I saw that one go in. It's fair. I mean, the U.S. ultimately doesn't score three goals anyway. But, you know, if it goes to overtime, you never know what happens. Certainly in, a, in an even game, you'd probably like the Americans to come out on top uh, in OT as well. Uh, the U.S.'s, you know, top lines... Cooley, Nice, Coronado. I think, you know, they, they looked like a top six line. And Bordelow, Slaggart, and Mazer probably became probably the, the top line for the U.S., the best line in terms of performance. Uh, Mazer and Bordelow were both near the, the tournament leaderboard for scoring. Um, but just beyond that, it was hard to really find much offense. Yeah, I really like the Coronado, Cooley, Nice line in the, in the round robin. 
Uh, but but they in terms of just the possession, the scoring chances they were they were creating, but they weren't very good in the quarterfinals. Uh, Nyes in particular didn't score a goal in, in this tournament, which was somewhat disappointing for him. Uh, yeah, I mean Slaggard, Mazer, and and, and Bo- uh, Bordalo all, uh, played well. I wouldn't call that line dynamic, but but they got the points. Uh, Mazer scored quite a few big goals for for the U.S. in the tournament. But yeah, like the, those bo- that bottom six just didn't get it done. You know. Mackie Samuskevich, the first round pick, I thought he was just okay in the tournament. Brett Berard, who was a returning player from the gold medal team, I thought he was just okay. Uh, their down the lineup guys really didn't do much. And they weren't really missing that many players. They were pretty much just missing Matt, Matty Beneers and Chaz Lucius from the December team. Obviously, important players, particularly Beneers, but it, it wasn't like they were missing like six players like Canada was from, from their forward group. Uh, so I would say their effort, particularly in the quarterfinal, in terms of the offense, was disappointing. Czechia, I don't want to take anything away from them. They played a really good game, and, and two forwards probably are the headliners here: Yuri Kulich and Jan Mishak. They are. And I also would would highlight uh, the, the Vegas pick, Matias Pavlov, who just after being drafted emerges as the first line center on this team and, beca- and plays a big role. Uh, for the club, but I do think it was Meshack and, and Coolidge who, who drove the bus. Coolidge also just recently drafted, and he was one of the tournament leaders in several major statistical categories. I thought he was really impressive, and when I was there, he had some scouts buzzing in terms of ha- in terms of how he looked as a guy who has you know good speed, good skill, scoring ability. It looked like his body's already built to to play a pro game. Um, I could see him playing pro next season in in North America, a- and Meshack. Uh, and his third world junior is no surprise, and he plays a big role and plays effectively. He, he plays hard. He has he's, he's a really good skater. Uh, the question has to be how much offense he has as a pro. I think there's probably enough to be you know bottom six forward in the National Hockey League. Uh, but those three guys uh, definitely did drive the bus for them offensively. Uh, the defenseman there, David Yerichek, the sixth overall pick by Columbus Blue Jackets. I thought he was good. Wouldn't say he had it was an incredible tournament, but I thought in the game versus the United States in particular, he was very good. He he frustrated a lot of their top forwards. Sweden was one, another team kind of like the U.S. where e- even in pool play, though, really, if, if the U.S. had just kind of flopped in, in the quarterfinals, start to back, I, I think Sweden's probably pretty disappointed in the way this whole thing went. And yet they come out of it with bronze. Right. And that's just the way, you know. <laughs> a one and done tournaments go. It, it depends when you have your bad game, uh, but Sweden had quite a few bad games. I thought, and it just it, there just was no offense on this team, and, and you knew that coming in a little bit that they were going to be a little offensively challenged. But just watching that 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 the tournament, even their 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 first round pick forwards, of which they had several, just really didn't get it done on a consistent basis. And now they had literally no center talent in terms of. They had like centers that are draft picks or good junior centers, but they didn't have high-end center talent. Uh, William Eklund would have been their first-line center at this tournament, even though he played wing for a considerable portion of the season and, and some center uh, in Sweden this year. Uh, but even the centers they did have played wing for most of the year back in Sweden too. Uh, so it, there was a lot of struggle to generate offense all around their lineup. A lot of it ended up coming uh, from the blue line. Emil Andre, one of the better players in, in the tournament, and he scores a couple goals for them, a few goals for them. Four, um, four, four goals, eight points, yeah. Yeah, so it, it was it was a good tournament for him. I mean, uh, 
probably not the uh, bronze game that maybe he would have envisioned, but but I think you know they, they win the game, so that's all that really matters. Uh, but it is probably Lisell and, and Rosen uh, that you're looking for a little more from. I thought Lisell was still good. I don't know that I would say he was as good as you probably need as they certainly needed him to be. He was buzzing, and obviously his bronze medal goal was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, where where he be, where he beat the fe- the defense into the puck and then beats the goalie to the far post. Uh, you know, he was very good. You saw, not very good, but he was good though because you saw the excellent skating and, and the skill. I'm not sure he generated offense on a consistent basis versus the good teams um, at, you know, again, at the rate that you would like to see. Same thing with Isaac Rosen, same thing with Oscar Olasen to uh, an extent. Again, they were all good players. They all got they all got their points. I just wouldn't say they generate offense consistently in those hard games. Uh, I would think all three of them kind of stuck to the perimeter a little too much. And you, you don't want to criticize the younger players too much, the 04s in an 02 tournament. But, I, you know, you look at the other first-round picks, Liam Ogren and Jonathan Lekaramaki, I didn't really think they really got a whole lot done on a consensus, on a consistent basis, too. And and if you really want to, you know, turn your eyes away from the forwards, yep. their their go-to player in December, their, their star player in December tournament, and probably on the roster, Simon Edinson, just had an okay tournament, I would say. And, yep. and now there were some confounding factors there where he got injured in the pre-tournament and he developed food poisoning midway through the tournament. But I, I, at the end of the day, I can't say that he is a guy who excelled in any notable manner. Yeah, I think you still saw, you know, it's, it's the it's the length and the skating, but oftentimes, you know, he'd transition a puck and it just wouldn't lead to much or, or he's throwing a puck away from behind the net and uh, you know, I, late in the bronze, I, I think you saw probably more what you were hoping to see. I, in terms I agree. Of, I, I liked his bronze medal game. Yep. But but I think, and, and is that coming out of the food poisoning? We, we don't know. Uh, but I agree with you. Just okay. And, and that's a guy who I think a lot of people are, are looking at as, you know, at least 50-50 to make the NHL, if not better, to start this season. I don't know that this is the, the runway launch that, that you wanted for that. Right. I was, I was probably more lean 50-50 to him being on the roster now. It's more 50-50 lean him to maybe a year in Grand Rapids, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. That's what they did with Moritz Sider. In the uh, – in the Backwards. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, they did Grand Rapids, then Sweden. This would be Sweden, then Grand Rapids. But but yes, I mean, Nick, you know, waiting until a defenseman is 20 years old is not the end of the world. No, it's not. Uh, any other final thoughts? I mean, I, there were some teams here. Latvia probably outperformed – almost everybody's expectations. Any any other uh, closing thoughts here on this tournament? Uh, watching that Slovakia team was kind of depressing <laughs> just because... Without uh, Slavkovsky and Nemitz, yeah. Well, because I mean, they were so fun to watch in December. And then I remember I went to go watch their their first game of the tournament. Uh, it was a pre-tournament game against Germany and they could barely keep up. And you were just like, oh my God, this, this is... What a tragedy this is. <laughs> After seeing how good they were in the in the December tournament with again with Slav, Uri Slavkovsky, Simon Nemec, Philip Meshar, uh, you know Mar- Martin Kromak was on that team too, and uh, I'm sure I'm missing one or two other guys who, who didn't end up coming. It was that was a hell of a team, and the remains of that were left of this club were just okay. They, they don't even make it to the medal round. Uh, that that was that was tough to watch and unfortunate to watch. It was and and Dvorsky Delbor Dvorsky. I know he he made your uh, the the wrong side of your observations list here. Uh, a, a guy who I think we had hoped if you're, if he's going to launch and become a, a top ten pick, you want to see it a little bit here. I I do wonder how the team context affects that though, right? Like if, if the whole team's kind of you know dragging a little bit, it's it's pretty hard for an individual to, to stand out at, at, at this level. 
Right. No, again, he's an 05 and an 02 tournament. I'm not going to you know, hurt the guy's draft stock too much based on this tournament. But if you came into the tournament thinking, oh, well, his skating's an issue. He, can he keep up at the higher levels? This was a, a, a tournament that kind of accentuated those issues for you, even though he has tremendous skill and, and scoring ability. Uh, one other thing I thought from this tournament that was interesting is there was really a lack of goaltending. <laughs> I thought at this <laughs> tournament, like, re- like, really, like really good goaltending for the for the pro level, other than the Minnesota pick, Jesper Wallstedt. Yeah, Wallstedt, no surprise uh, there. He, he and he was maybe even better at the at the winter tournament, though he still ends this one I think with right around like a nine forty save percentage. Yeah, so yeah. really good. Yeah, I mean you had the Detroit pick for Czechia, Jan Bednash pretty much from the third goal oh, yeah. by the end of it. The Ottawa pick Le- Levy Marilyn and loses his net for Finland by the by the end of it. You know, we we mentioned how USA, you know, they had three undrafted goalies in their net. Dylan Garan for Canada. You know, I would say he was good. Quinn uh, said he was often challenged, but at the end of the day, his numbers were really strong. Uh, but it was really Jesper Walsh that it stood above the rest in terms of goaltending in this event. I'll, I'll say, you know, for as bad as the third goal was, Emberico still ends this tournament at, at around a 920 save percentage. I, I think he pretty much gave you what you needed to right up until that moment. Right. He did very well up until the game you needed him to play well. And yes. I wouldn't even say it was the whole game. Like I, I, he's. I think you're allowed one really rough goal, right? I mean, there's a couple leakers in in pool yeah, play. No, I guess he but. was not the reason they lost that yeah. game. He was part of the reason they lost that game, but he was not the reason they lost that game. The part, you know, the USA who came into the game with the second most goals in the tournament and leaves with only two goals. That's the the main reason why yes. they lost that game. Yeah, and and maybe the US has kind of become accustomed to. Being able to have these goalies that can that can bail them out, I, I'd certainly put the U.S. among the the best goaltending producing countries out there. Um, I, I thought Finland's goalie w- when they made the switch from Miralainen to Yakula, uh, I thought he if Finland had pulled off that win in the gold medal game, I personally thought he would at least have deserved some consideration for goaltender of the tournament, even in just three games because of how he lifted them. Oh yeah, for sure. And in terms of the USA, the other. Varela was also Luke Hughes getting injured in the first yep. couple of shifts of that quarterfinal. And, you know, you, you subtract Barry Benier, you subtract Jake Sanderson, and you practically subtract Luke Hughes from that team. And all of a sudden, that, that team looks slightly less interesting. Yes, yes, certainly. Uh, the Austrian goalie, too. I remember he was kind of a becoming a storyline at the Winter Tournament, Sebastian Ranischitz. He doesn't kind of get the Hollywood uh, moment this time around. But uh, I agree. Walsh, that's the story. I wonder how long you think his... What's his runway here? How, how long is it until he could be threatening for the NHL? I would guess one year in the American League. It, it, would, it would be quite a rush job to push somebody up that quickly. I mean, even Spencer Knight took yeah. the, the, uh, two years after his draft. I'll be at two years in college. Uh, this guy has a little bit more pro experience, but I'm guessing he will do a full year in Iowa. And then the 2023-24 season is when you start to see him break through at Minnesota. All right. That is going to do it for us, uh, Ian and Haley. I think that's all our thoughts, right, Corey? I'm sure we have some more thoughts, but we don't want to take away from their time. I have no more thoughts, so we'll throw it right back to you guys. All right. There you go. Terrific analysis from uh, Promen and Boltman there. Um, Haley, to wrap it up, I got one multiple choice madness question for you. Okay? Okay. One question, one question only. Haley Salvian, who had the better summer of 2022? <laughs> was it A, Pierre Dorian, or B, Brad Treliving? Who had the better summer? The general manager of the Ottawa Senators or the general man- manager of the Calgary Flames? Dorian or Treliving? Who had the better summer? 
I feel like if you were to obviously ask this question like a month ago, it was Pierre Dorian. Like it was the, um, I was hot tweeting Pierre like summer. summer of sends, hot Pierre yeah. summer. Like look at the stuff he's doing. It was great. Um, but I think the moves that tree living made like after again, like taking it on the teeth, I think it was Brad tree living. Um, he got Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weaker, a prospect and a first round pick for Matthew Chuck. Hands tied, no leverage. Let me just have this massive blockbuster. I mean, Dorian had some good moves, but he didn't pull off the blockbuster of that kind of proportion. Um, and, you know, he signed Claude Drew, which is a great local guy. Roger Lewing signed Nazem Kadri, who was one of the, if we throw it back to five weeks ago, who was like number two on UFA boards? It was Nazem Kadri. You know, Bradtree Living got the guy. He waited for five weeks and he made the, it's like you're fishing. You've got the, you've got the fish on the hook and then he leaves. Then you get him again and then you finally pull it. You know, he played the long game with Kadri and, and, and won. Um, you know, did he, can you say he won if you signed him to a big contract that might be an overpayment in a couple of years? Uh, I guess it depends what the Flames do in the next three years in this kind of window of contention. But, um, I think the way that he rebounded, um, Personally, I think it's Brad Tree Living who had the better offseason just because of what he dug himself out of and made the team on paper better. I think Dorian made the sense better and he had some savvy moves, but he didn't get like the best UFA, one of the best UFAs, and he didn't have a blockbuster. He also didn't lose to like franchise players either. So that's where I get stuck. It's like Dorian didn't have the subtractions. So I don't know. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great question. Like I'd love to hear from our listeners too. Who had a better summer, Pierre Dorian or Brad Living? Because you just laid out a great argument for why it would be Living. Uh, Ottawa fans would say, "Look, Dorian," and and you saw this in Dom's uh, off-season confidence rankings for front offices. Uh, Pierre Dorian completely uh, the the faith in him has been restored in this mm-hmm. uh, in this fan base, and then that's uh, because of his moves and, and landing Alex DeBrinket. Uh, signing Claude Giroux, trading for Cam Talbot, getting out of uh, Matt Murray's contract. These these were all yeah. things that people thought weren't he possible. Least for Debrinket too. They didn't have to I, give I up. I think he did really. Yeah, I think they did really well in in, yeah. in getting Debrinket, and I think they did really well in in only having to retain twenty five percent of Matt Murray's deal. So there's a lot to be said here for e- each of these guys. But I, I to me. It's a, it's a great question. And maybe there's another yeah. general manager who's in the mix, but uh, I mm-hmm. think both True Living and, and Dorian um, did a lot to re- regain the confidence of their fan bases, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the Flames lost, obviously lost more in terms of quality than the Sens did. But I think if you were to line up who they acquired in terms of the quantity and quality to the Sens, I think the Flames added more... Like, because yeah. Uyghur and Huberto, um, Kadri, line that up against, you know, Debrinket, Giroux, uh, Cam Talbot. I think the the talent level is a little higher on the flame side, but obviously if you subtract losing Gaudreau and Kachuk, then Dorian's offseason looks better. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, it's, it's, a good, it's a good question. Yeah. It's a great it's a great topic to debate. It's a great place for us to, uh, to, to end it. Uh, so listen, this was a lot of fun. Um, I still, I, I would like you to email me a copy of the letter that you wrote to secure. No. <laughs> I'm just very curious, very curious about this um, letter that you wrote to secure your apartment, you know, and um, Absolutely. I, w- w- wouldn't you also love to read what the other people wrote that like 
like it's probably riddled with grammatical mistakes and or maybe you're a they professional didn't write writer. one. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they just like didn't like that was the one thing that realtor I worked with was great. She was like, "You should do this because it's going to help." So I don't yeah. know. Maybe the other people didn't do that, and it just made me, yeah, <laughs> look like a really great tenant. There you go. And uh, at, at some point, you need to secure the rights to helmet nachos in the NHL, and then then you're going to be buying places. You're not. Yeah, you're going to be secure the rights to it. Helmet nachos, and TM. they're not going to be like team helmets it's gonna be my helmet yeah Haley's helmets hh <gasps> here we go Haley's helmet nachos yeah Trade can someone tell song. me where to find helmets for nachos you have to make them you have to make them all right uh <laughs> listen yeah somebody reach out to Haley where she can make helmet nachos we'll leave it there uh you know Corey Pronman uh was part of that little recap of the world juniors with Max Boltman we want to remind our listeners this week, Monday through Thursday, Corey's going to have his 2022 NHL pipeline rankings. Uh, those episodes are going to drop every morning. So in addition to our regular slate of shows, uh, Promen's pipeline rankings every uh, morning, Monday through Thursday. Wednesday, by the way, Rob Pizzo, Sarah Sivian, and Jesse Granger are going to have Dallas Stars head coach Peter DeBoer dropping by the show, as well as the guy who wears those little white gloves, the keeper of the cup, Phil Pritchard. Uh, is going to also be on the roundtable. Uh, that's on the Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. We want to uh, thank everybody for listening to this Monday edition of the show with Haley and myself. Uh, follow us on your favorite podcast uh, platform. Uh, leave us a rating review. We certainly appreciate that. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all of our bonus content from the entire network. We'll start with a 30-day free trial. It's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, we got a great deal with the Athletic. You can subscribe for a dollar a month for six months when you visit athletic.com slash Watch